Wedded to me. When I offered up my crown, you said I could have anything. I want Rhaenyra. I take her as she is and wed her in the tradition of our house. You are already wed. That didn't stop Egg on the Conqueror from taking a second wife. You are no conqueror. I think it was all bangers all the time. All bangers all the time. Seven blessings to you, my sweet summer child, and welcome back to All Bangers, otherwise known as ABP, an unofficial Game of Thrones House of the Dragon podcast where we dive deep and analyze every House of the Dragon episode scene by scene in fine detail, free of any spoilers from Fire and Blood. I am your host, Sir Vizzy of House Vizarion, here to cover episode four of HBO's House of the Dragon, and boy oh boy did it get spicy. Things are heating up, man. You know, this is the type of stuff that the original show and the A Song of Ice and Fire books thrive on. The the lies, the political intrigue, the scandals, an absolute banger of an episode this week. And I'm so glad you're here with me today to cover it all. As always, follow 150,000 other film and TV fans who follow me on Instagram at Visualize Cinema. I just got back from Toronto, uh, went to TIFF. And TIFF, man, Toronto, what a city, what an event. I've been to Toronto many times before, but only when I was a kid. And the city has really grown and changed in the past 15 years. And there's this amazing energy about that city, man. And especially on King Street for the festival, the people, the theaters, the food, like had a really amazing time. And I can't wait to go back for future festivals. It's pretty pretty remarkable. Uh, Everything on one street, right in downtown. I only... Ended up seeing two films uh, just due to scheduling conflicts, but I saw How to Blow Up a Pipeline, uh, which was an independent movie that went to TIFF, which was the uh, first film purchased, actually, at the festival. Uh, Neon bought it. So uh, that's a W for that project. It was really, it was a really fun movie. If I were to rate it, honestly, I'd probably give it like a 6 out of 10. It had a lot of Tenet vibes. Um, it moved and was scored like Woodwig score in Tenet. So it started at that movie started at a hundred and it tried to maintain <laughs> it tried to maintain a hundred from start to finish and uh what it lacked was the quieter moments because it was so fast paced, high energy, relentless pacing, relentless energy. Uh it really lacked those quiet, subtle character building moments. Like they established cal- characters really early on. Uh, within the opening sequence, they establish pretty much every character, and they go, they they somewhat go into the character's backstory with one scene per character, but it's not enough to really connect you to that character. Uh, so that's definitely the flaw with that film. So that's why I give it like a six out of ten. Great, great experience though, and that cast is really cool. Um, let's see, Ooh, catch my breath here. Um, the second film I saw was Steven Spielberg's. The Fablemans, which should be a heavyweight contender for many Oscars. Uh, Spielberg came out and introduced the movie, and it's just so crazy seeing one of the goats, if not the goat, like standing 50 feet in front of you. <laughs> and I, I, I got to say, man, like Roy Thompson Hall was my favorite venue at TIFF. 
So if you ever do go to TIFF and uh, a movie that you're interested in is screening at Roy Thompson Hall, just book it and, and get the balcony seating. Phenomenal view. But yeah, man, the, the night that uh, House of the Dragon was on, um, that was that was the night before I left Toronto. And the next day, I spent eight hours in the airport just prepping this episode. And yeah, man, we have a lot to talk about. So initial thoughts up top on the episode. I think this was the best episode by far. Uh, I don't know, maybe not by far, but I think this was the best episode. I feel like I said that last week too <laughs> about last week's episode, but I forget. You know, I, I forget. I, I record these breakdowns and I don't, I don't go back and listen to them. It's like an actor who doesn't like watch his films. Like I don't go back and listen to what I say. It's just not a part of my process. But yeah, anyways, this episode was wild and there were so many foreshadowing moments that most likely went over the head of people who haven't read the book i'm not going to reveal what they are because to do so would be to invite spoilers and we just don't do that here on abp but i will just say that ryan condal and ira parker uh the head writer for this episode they blew a bunch of kisses to book readers this episode and i thought that was pretty amazing but before we dive in here, this episode of ABP is brought to you by Folio Society. So just when I was about to hit record on this podcast episode, a package arrived at my doorstep. And the good folks over at Folio Society graced me with a box of goodies. And if you've never heard of Folio Society before, they are without a doubt the most creative group of editors, designers, and artisans that work in the heart of London. And they craft and publish the most important and beloved books in the world, from Frank Herbert's Dune to George R. R. Martin's A Song of Ice and Fire to Tolkien's Lord of the Rings, Neil Gaiman's American Gods. They have hundreds of custom fiction and nonfiction books in their catalog, and they've been handcrafting books since 1947, and I would not be here talking about them if I did not believe in their products. I personally reached out to them, and I'd, I wanted to work with them, and they were kind enough to, to send me a box of goodies. So when I tell you, when I opened the box and I unboxed my A Song of Ice and Fire collector's editions that they sent me, there was this, <laughs> there was this overwhelming feeling of excitement and pride that I now own these series of books from this publishing house. Like the detail in the love and the obsession with quality that went into these special editions, it's absolutely mind-blowing. Like the illustrations from Jonathan Burton are incredible. They transport you into the world. The paper, <laughs> like, like the paper they print on is so buttery smooth. The custom serif typefaces they use are super elegant and they, they make you feel like you're reading something that was handwritten. Like I'm completely over the moon about these editions and George R. R. Martin said himself, uh, if you if you were to own this edition of Song of Ice and Fire, you you own like the best edition of his work like in the world. He basically said the Folio Society's splendid new editions are masterpieces of the bookmaker's art, lavishly illustrated by Jonathan Burton. Book collectors and fantasy fans alike are going to delight in these volumes. I know I will. So Coming from George R. R. Martin himself, those are that's those are nice words. So head on over to foliosociety.com. I put the link in the description of this episode and treat yourself, man. 
be good to yourself. Grab the Ultimate Illustrated Collector's Edition before they sell it for good. And I just want to thank Emma and the entire Folio Society team for sending me a Game of Thrones through a Feast for Crows, books one through four. I will forever cherish these books for the rest of my life. And guys, real quick, uh, if you want to see my books, just hop over to Instagram and check out my A Song of Ice and Fire story highlight on my feed where I will be showcasing how extraordinary these (laughs) these collector's editions are. We'll crack them open and I'll show you what's inside each book because no amount of words I say on a podcast could ever do these books justice. You just simply have to see them to believe it. But take it from me, um, over two years running my Instagram account, I have never taken a single sponsorship deal. I've been approached many times. I never believed in the products that were uh, that were pitched to me that I was approached by those companies. But this one felt right. I reached out to them personally, and I love the product. And it was perfect timing with House of the Dragon running right now. It's just a just to let you know about these, just to let you know these editions are out there that are just waiting for you to scoop up. So yeah, man, again, foliosociety.com. Link is in the description. Check out the A Song of Ice and Fire series. And now, let's dive in. House of the Dragon, season one, episode four, titled King of the Narrow Sea, written by Ira Parker, directed by Claire Kilner. Here's the description. After Rhaenyra cuts short her tour of Westeros, Damon introduces her to the Street of Silk after dark. So we get our opening frame here with Rhaenyra touching her necklace Damon gave her, foreshadowing what happens later on in the episode with her actually touching Damon. But we're down in Storm's End, first time we've ever seen Storm's End on screen, home to House Baratheon. Love hearing the sound of crackling thunder outside. It's a nice touch. There's, there's always a storm on the shores of Storm's End, making a real formidable place for an enemy to try to attack by sea. But Rhaenyra's is <laughs> in the middle of a rose ceremony on Westerosi Bachelor here. And, uh, you know, her potential suitors are of House Dondarrion, House Swan, House Tully, House Bracken, House Blackwood, and a few other lesser houses from the Riverlands. Um, first dude is a Dondarrion that Rhaenyra dismisses because, come on, I mean, the dude is ancient. And uh, the, ne- the next suitor up, we get young Samuel Blackwell, a- a.k.a. Sir Fuck Around and Find Out. And I, I think uh, at first, a lot of us book, re- book readers, book fans, we initially thought that this was Bloody Ben Benjakai Blackwood. But uh, yeah, we thought it was Bloody Ben, but he wouldn't be born yet. This is actually his father, Samuel. So OG Samuel. So Samuel approaches, he's young, he looks, you know, 10 and 4, uh, can barely make the, make the words, voice is crackling, and the Bracken Lord heckles him. And for those of you who don't know, the Brackens and the Blackwoods are both noble houses in the Riverlands, and they hate each other. Uh, House Blackwood are descendants of Blood Raven. If you, if you watch the show, the original show, Game of Thrones, this would be the Three-Eyed Raven. In the book, his real name is uh, Brendan Rivers, uh, referred to as the Three-Eyed Crow or Blood Raven. He's actually the bastard son of Aegon IV Targaryen. And since he he was a bastard, he was sent to the Wall, and he was lost beyond the Wall and, and thought to be dead. But many believe he is now Blood Raven, and Blood Raven is the mentor to uh, Bran Stark in the books. So the Blackwoods are direct descendants of the First Men, 
They keep the old gods, and the Brackens are actually the OG house that uh, ruled over the Riverlands until their vassals, the Blackwoods, usurped them. So that's why you see older the older Bracken here giving our young lad a hard time when he's trying to win Rhaenyra's favor. But uh, all the wards here were really dismissive of Rhaenyra's claim to the throne. They they were talking about this big game about their castles, what they own, what they can provide her as if she's applying to be like queen, uh, queen consort to a future king, right? And the editing on the scene was great because we had Rhaenyra walking away and, you know, you hear somebody get sliced open and for a second you're wondering who it is and then it cuts and you see Samwell standing over the bracken and, you know, then my, my little man like looks over and he's like about to vomit and like right before it cuts, it looks like he's about to puke. That thought was pretty funny. But um, we cut to Rhaenyra journeying home from King's, uh, to King's Landing. Uh, you can see King's Landing on the horizon here. She called the tour a wrap with like two months remaining. None of the lords did it for her. Uh, we see Throat Goat, Caraxes, and Damon fly back to King's Landing as well, not before fucking with the ship because, you know, Damon's just petty like that. Um, we cut to inside the throne room, and Viserys preps for Damon. The court, the court, you know, strolls in along with Rhaenyra, and Viserys looks to Rhaenyra and realizes, okay, she <laughs> she cut that tour pretty short. Um, just gives her a look like, what the fuck? What are you doing here? Like, why? Why can't you, for once, you just obey orders? But Damon strolls in, swinging the hammer of the crab feeder in his hand. Dude just knows how to make an entrance, right? You know he made this, you know he made this like arts and craft crown just to pre present to his brother. He was probably making it on the journey home. Like everything's for show with Damon, right? But I thought it was pretty badass when he threw that hammer down and said, add it to the chair. Right, all three, all three, all theatrics with Damon. Right, we get this great reunion that's short-lived between Viserys and Damon here. I love how Damon like leans into his brother's shoulder. Again, dramatic Damon here. Right, it's not until later we actually find out this is literally all a ruse, and he didn't come back to get into Viserys' good graces at all. He just came back to actually spite him for the letter that Viserys sent to him in the Stepstones last episode. Remember. But we cut to the courtyard with the weirwood, and Damon and Viserys are basically broing out. They're talking about the tapestries. Viserys is like deep in his cup, and he's they're both telling Allison how, or I would say Viserys is telling Allison how their mother favored Damon when they were both children. And uh, fun fact, uh, Alyssa Targaryen, Viserys and Damon's mother, actually took both of them up on a dragon when they were just a few days old. Uh, so you know, it's interesting that Damon is, I feel like Damon has more of the blood of the dragon in him than Viserys. I mean, he's more of a badass. So it begs the question, like, why Viserys isn't as badass as Damon if they were take, were both taken up at the same time on a dragon when they were younger? Um, especially when Viserys is, you know, older and he can probably, like, remember it better, at least. Um, but I thought it was interesting and sad here that we see Viserys laughing and joking now that Damon's back. And it just it goes to show how much Viserys loves Damon, how comfortable he is around his brother. But it's sad because we see later on the plan that Damon hatches on him and why he really came back to King's Landing in the first place. But Viserys is pretty dismissive of Rhaenyra's desire to see the new tapestries in the bedrooms from Norvos and Coahor. Um, 
I think Allison says. And, you know, what's interesting here is I feel like up to this point, Allison wasn't too fond of Damon to begin with. But here we see her like lead and like ask permission to show Damon the tapestries. I, I was thinking maybe she wanted to make a play for Damon here. I mean, we know she's sexually frustrated, right? Her life isn't exciting or spontaneous. And Damon is the exact opposite of what her life looks like. So giving him a tour of the chambers with the new orgy tapestries on the wall, like could have given her a chance to make a move on Damon. And hmm, I mean, now that I think about it, remember back in episode one when Allison like wreathed his, his lance at the tourney and how I thought that was like a major sexual innuendo. And maybe, I mean, maybe, hmm. I don't know, because Otto looked over to him, and, you know, maybe it was, like, Otto's, like, fatherly, like, instinct that he may have thought that Damon could have fucked Allison, right? But maybe Damon was just toying with Otto there. I don't know. I mean, maybe they ended up doing something in secret. It's it's hard to know for sure, but it's on screen in episode one. So it isn't too far of a reach to say Allison wanted to show Damon the orgy tapestries because she remembered how nervous she was when you know, she, she put her handmaiden on his lance at the tourney years ago and like Rhaenyra was looking at her and Otto was looking at her. So that could have like, you know, that, that, that could have, um, I don't know. I don't know. It's interesting. It's interesting. I, I would love to hear what you guys think. If you guys could DM me, DM me at, at visualize cinema, do you think that Allison fucked Damon or do you think Damon fucked Allison or, or touched Allison when she was younger? And maybe this is why she wanted to show Damon the tapestries. Let me know. I mean, I, I think that's pretty interesting. But Allison walks over to Rhaenyra after, you know, Viserys, like, dismisses her. She walks over to, over to Rhaenyra on the bench. She's like, you know, it must it must have been fun having all these guys, like, swooning over you on, on the on the tour. And Rhaenyra, uh, Rhaenyra is like, nah, not really. Like, why would it be, like, fun? Like, I, I, would, I don't want to be trapped inside a castle forced to squeeze out air, she says. But... Yeah, like, I, I think this episode was the first episode where I was like, okay, like, Allison and Rhaenyra actually do love each other. It, like, at least Allison. I think Allison is in love with Rhaenyra. And I'll explain why during, like, the Weirwood scene where she confronts her about Damon later on. But, you know, Rhaenyra apologizes for, for what she just said with regards to, like, you know, being trapped in a castle and squeezing out airs. She grabs Allison's hand just to let her know that she's sorry and we continue to build that tension with these quips between the two of them. Like when Allison says later on, you know, you Targaryens do have queer customs, right? When she refers to Damon and, and Rhaenyra, like fucking. But we cut to Rhaenyra and Damon by the weirwood after the party. And I love how Rhaenyra is like, you know, surely, <laughs> surely there's more to your return than simply taunting my father. Damon just smiles because he's like, yeah. He, he knows, like, yeah, there is. Like, I came back for you. But first, I'll taunt your father. Um, but, yeah, I did come back for you. But uh, Damon notices, like, Rhaenyra's, like, Valerian steel necklace, uh, the one he gave her in episode one. It's been years since they've seen each other, right? And the first day back, she wears it for him. You know what's interesting that I said to myself while watching the, this episode? I think Rhaenyra and Damon act more like brother and sister than uncle and niece. Like, do you guys feel that? Like, Rhaenyra sort of, like, looks up to Damon in a way like a sister looks up to an older brother, like, more than an uncle. 
like the way she looks at him, the way she teases him, and just her tonality when she talks to him, it feels very like like little sister like. You know what I mean? You know what I'm trying to say? Like she's like, You changed. Uh it looks like you changed by your adventures. He's like, you know, you've matured as well. Get used to it, like the looks people are gonna give you. I mean, all I'll have to say all I'll say right now is you know, the title of the episode, King of the Narrow Sea, I think that title is a double entendre. Like, yeah, Damon was dubbed King of the Narrow Sea by his men, but there's another narrow sea between Rhaenyra's legs. And we see Damon show Rhaenyra what it's like to express yourself sexually and to be free to fuck whoever you want. So, yeah, I... I think it could have a double meeting in that way as well because Rhaenyra like enters her hoe phase this episode and does her thing and that's awesome. Good for her. I'm I'm happy for her. But she, you know, she learns to take what she wants. Right? Even though she, you know, she fucked Sir Kristen. Um I can't wait to talk about that actually. Damon was the one who ignited that sexual drive in her and showed her what true freedom looks like, right? Like outside of the walls of King's Landing, right? It looks like Burning Man outside the walls of the Red Keep. Red Keep boring, right? So he gives her a taste of what her life could be like outside the walls. Remember when I said he gave her her a dub on the bridge at Dragonstone? He, like he lured her to Dragonstone to make her feel like she's in control? This was like the exact same thing. It's all about, hey, this is what life with me could like. It's dangerous and it, and it's exhilarating and it's better than being stuck up on a castle squeezing out areas like she said to Allison. So he shows her freedom through sexuality and she's just trying to feel like a sense of autonomy and choice over her body and her life, you know, just being a woman in, in Westeros and, you know, without getting too graphic and weird here, like we all know what happens when a woman is aroused. Hence, especially when they're still a maiden, right? So hence, narrow sea, right? So yeah, like I, I like to think that Ryan Condal is smart enough to connect the dots between Damon's nickname and Rhaenyra's virtue, which came into question this episode a lot. But this is just the start of Rhaenyra's hoe phase, and I'm here for it. Like our, our girl is it's going to need a cooler of moon tea next to her bed from here on out because she's horned up. But we got to the small council here. Otto tells Viserys that Lord Corlys wishes to wed the Lady Leda, Lena, um, to a sea lord from Bravos. And look, I mean, you have to think that this is like the um, the the correct play for for the Sea Snake and for House Valerion. Yeah, like you just want a great victory over the pirates in the Stepstones, but he doesn't want to go through that shit again. So the best way to make sure that never happens is to wed Lena to a high lord in Bravos to ensure his shipping lanes are never blocked and his coin never stops flowing like it did for those few years, right? So it's a smart play by Corlys, but Otto pitches it to Viserys as if it's a threat and says, if Corlys is going to do this to us, we have to make our own alliances and it cuts over to Rhaenyra's face and she knows what it, she knows what's going to be asked of her now formally to wed Lena. Like we talked, they talked about it last episode. I think her and Viserys talked about it last episode. Again, I forget. Apologies. I, I think they talked about it or at least hinted at it last, last episode, but I think that's going to become formal. And I think she knows it, but 
you know, we cut to, we cut throughout the castle. The castle is preparing for nighttime. Candles are being lit. We cut to Allison holding baby Helena Targaryen. She's crying up a storm. Um, all I'll say is, if you know, you know. Um, <laughs> that's all I'll say about that. But uh, Rhaenyra walks back to her room and says goodnight to Sir Kristen. Uh, she, she sees this bag hanging on her, the chair. She opens it up. It's a page's close. She sees a scroll of parchment, unrolls it, and it's a map. It's a map of a secret passageway that leads to her room. And I was thinking this room could have been Damon's when he was a boy living in the Red Keep. And, you know, you know him. He was probably a wanderer, and he came upon this, like, secret passageway. But a little book lore for you here. Um, when Magor the Cruel completed the Red Keep, he created miles of secret passages and tunnels beneath King's Landing. So this is probably one of those secret passageways that leads to the crypts below King's Landing. But what Maker did was he had hundreds of stone masons dig and brick these passageways. And then what he did was he killed all of them. So nobody would know they existed other than the blood of the dragon. And this is actually quite interesting if you think about it because... I think Rhaenyra, I think she's so excited and doesn't give a fuck in the moment that she doesn't even realize how concerning this actually is. Like, there's literally a secret passageway directly to her room, but she doesn't see that. She's just so excited in the moment. She's excited she's going to see Damon, and she's wondering what Damon's going to, you know, what adventure Damon's going to take her on. But, you know, she puts on the commoner duds, and she heads down the passageway past Balerion's skull, and we see rats all over Valerian skull. So some more book lore for you here. Um, how do I put this? So Lady Dustin refers to the maesters as gray rats in the books. So if this symbolism means anything, it means that rats or maesters, you know, rats are literally killing the king and killing the Targaryens. Hashtag Maester Conspiracy. Again, this makes sense, because if you think back to when I mentioned the Maesters are from Old Town, right? They're, they're Westerosi. The Targaryens are not Westerosi. They're from Valyria. Um, the Maesters are connected to the faith, and they look at the Targaryens as sorcerers of magic. Their dragons are literally magic, um, and they believe in science and the old gods, the maesters do. So obviously science isn't developed to the point where you can fight Targaryen's magic uh, blow for blow, and no amount of praying to the gods is, will help kill a dragon, right? So instead of waging war out in the open against the Targaryens, what do the maesters do? They operate in the shadows with poison and sleight of hand and tricks like fucking rats, right? Just something to think about. So... Rhaenyra, she finally reaches Damon, and he grabs her hand and escorts her down the side of the castle to the Street of Silk in Flea Bottom. And it's funny, I won't mention, okay, I won't say which part. There, there was a moment during this entire sequence that was heavy, and I mean heavy, foreshadowing. And I actually laughed when I first saw it. Saw it. Um, <laughs> Ryan Connell, he's got some stones, man. That's all I'll say. But I love when Rhaenyra's like, he called me boy. 
Like I thought that was actually really cute of her. It, it gave me major Arya vibes from the original show. But they come up on a play in the square. And this was interesting because we see Rhaenyra discovering that the small folk favor young Aegon as king over her, even though she's properly named or formally named Viserys' heir. Like they still favor Aegon. And she, she decides that her own opinion is greater than the opinion of the small folk. She boos them, basically says, it doesn't, look, it doesn't matter what they think, but Damon checks her at, and he's like, their opinion matters more than you think, Renera. And this, to me, this felt like major, like, like Tyrion, Cersei vibes. If you remember back to Thrones, like, I think it was like season two. They had this conversation where Cersei's like, you think I care about the people? And Tyrion's like, you'd be stupid not to. Right? And we all know what happened there. Uh, Rhaenyra, she steals like a fruit or something and runs off. And, and guess who finds her? Our boy, Sir Harwin Breakbones Strong. He's like, look at you sneaking out, having a scandalous time. He lets her go, probably aroused as fuck. Remember last episode, he was all hot and bothered when she walked back into camp covered in blood and shit. I love Breakbones, man. He's he's awesome. He's fucking awesome. He nods to Damon. Damon acknowledges, and then we get Damon like reaching out for Rhaenyra's hand, and I love that shot of them holding hands, walking away, sort of like you know bobbing in and like all like in and out of each other. You know what I mean? You know what I'm trying to say? That type of shit. Like if you've you know if ever held hands with a significant other, you've probably done that. Um, but I got this question from Martina. She, she asks, does Damon have genuine romantic feelings for Rhaenyra or is he using her? Um, that's a great question. Look, at this point in the story, I doubt he has genuine romantic feelings for her. I think many of you probably would have thought I would have thought differently, but I, I don't think he has genuine romantic feelings for her yet. I think this entire night was just to get back at Viserys. I think he cares about her. I think Damon loves his niece. She's his only niece. So I think he loves her in that capacity. But I don't think there's a genuine romantic like connection or feelings just yet. Maybe down the line. But yeah, not not just yet. I mean, even in the brothel, I don't think we I don't think it I don't think it happens in the brothel either. I mean, Damon's such a hard character to read, but that's what makes Damon Damon. And yeah, I mean Damon takes her to the brothel. And the after the episode, the behind the scenes, it was really interesting because Millie Alcock was was mentioning that Damon didn't expect Rhaenyra to be as sexually aroused as she was in the brothel, so that's why that's why he ended up stopping, which does salvage his likability as a character with the audience because if he did go through with it, we'd have a portion of the audience going on a tirade about how Damon seduced a young girl a young family member into having sex with them so you know in, in that regard I'm, I'm glad he did hold back um but you know but it it also could have been because damon is impotent as well and doesn't want to show rhaenyra weakness this early on like there's so many layers to what happened in the brothel uh it's just another sign of fucking great writing and setup from condal in the writer's room but it's interesting because I think I think his whole plan was to come back to King's Landing to plot against Viserys. Remember Viserys' letter last episode? That was the trigger. 
And now he's going to plot on, Viser uh, on Viserys and use Rhaenyra to do that. She's going to get caught up in the middle of this. She, again, a political pawn, right? But I think, he, hmm, I think he may not have gone into this plan with the idea he was going to be attracted as much as he is to Rhaenyra. Like, that wasn't on his mind. Yes, he loves his family. Yes, he loves his niece. But she was so into it, and he didn't take her there with the intention to sully her virtue. Right? He took her there to be seen. But, yeah, like, in House Targaryen, there's nothing wrong with this. I got a DM on Insta saying, uh, uh, from somebody saying how uncomfortable they felt watching this. But you have to remember, Rhaenyra is now of age. And this is normal for Tar for Targaryens. In fact, Viserys and Daemon are the product of siblings. Their parents are brother and sister. So this is par for the course. But, you know, me personally, I'm shipping Daemon and Rhaenyra. I think out of everybody in Westeros, I think Daemon is actually the perfect suitor for Rhaenyra because he would do anything to make sure that she sits on the Iron, th iron Throne. But I can see why this scene felt uncomfortable because it's clear Daemon was taking advantage of Rhaenyra here. But what I will say is, like, this episode was directed by a woman. And I do think a, all of the sex scenes, in fact, were shot very tastefully. They weren't framed like the early Thrones episodes where it felt more like porn than an actual drama series. But Damon definitely set all of this up. He took her hat off. He wanted them to be seen together, right? The little bird, Misari's little bird, clocks him on the way out and clocks, you know, Rhaenyra on the way out. Um, and, and, you know, Damon wakes up with Masaria the next morning, but Damon teaches Rhaenyra here. She teaches, he teaches her a lesson that it's not just men who get pleasure from sex. And he's teaching her that it's okay to express yourself sexually. He's teaching her a lesson about wants and desires. This entire night was about sort of like entrancing her and giving her an otherworldly experience because she's never seen anything like this before. She didn't even know life could be like this, right? She didn't know life could be this exciting and dangerous and sultry. So his whole plan wasn't to fuck her. It was to sully her name. He takes her cap off in the brothel, right? In inside a brothel, all you do is fuck and talk gossip, right? So he makes sure her hair is seen because nobody in the world other than Targaryens have that type of hair. And everybody obviously knows Damon, so they're going to be like, wait, He's here with another white-haired maiden. Wait, that's the princess. And that type of gossip is going to get back to Viserys by way of Otto. And now we have an entire scandal on our hands. And this is all to get Viserys' blessing to marry her. Like, that's the ultimate, like, that's the end game. But throughout the scene, like, in the brothel, if you notice, there are, like, shots and frames that look and feel like it's being shot from somebody's perspective, like from somebody's POV. I really hope it's Mushroom, or it, it could be even Laris Clubfoot. Remember last, last episode when I mentioned Laris Clubfoot fakes his affliction because he wants to like get in on the gossip of the ladies of the court? It could be him. But I saw a pic from the preview on ne next week's episode with a little person at the wedding, and fuck, man, I really hope it's Mushroom, but it could be one of Masari. I mean, it could be... Let me think about it. I mean, the perspective, the POV shots in the brothel, it could be one of Masari's little birds, 
we see one when they walk out of the brothel, right? And obviously, it's the same one that brings the coin to Missaria and presents the information to Otto when Otto walks out, like, late in the morning. And the guard's like, yeah, this is, uh, you know, what we bring word from the white worm. But, yeah, like, with regards to Mushroom, I, I don't think Ryan Condal gives us Blackwood, Bracken Beef, a mention of Jaharis's daughter being disowned, Alice, uh, Alyssa and Balon references that this episode, Joanna Swan referenced last episode, and I don't, I, I don't think Ryan Condal does all of that, and there's no way that Ryan, Ryan Condal doesn't give us Mushroom. In fact, Condal actually said that Mushroom's going to be in the show, but we would have to find him. I think he's going to be like an ancillary character, like off in the peripherals, which is exactly how the show should use Mushroom. So if they were to bring on Mushroom, and I believe they will, it has to be next episode, or at least this early on, before we age the girls up, because the whole point of Mushroom is he is a device, and he has years of and years of tea on what happened that led to the Dance of the Dragons. And all of his accounts are inside Fire and Blood. So that's his purpose. So it does make sense to use him and to put him off on the peripheral and, you know, not make him a main character. But it's interesting because, like, we think Damon comes back to King's Landing to formally hand the Stepstones over to Viserys and to see his brother again, right? Just transitioning real real quick here. We think he... He th- we think he comes home to, like, be home. He says, like, to Rhaenyra in the courtyard, he's like, I just came home to enjoy the comforts of home. But what's really going on here is he came back to plot against Viserys, and he came back for Rhaenyra. But, yeah, I mean, Damon re- he revealed Rhaenyra's hair in the brothel on purpose. He also had a conscience and didn't want to spoil her. But he wanted them to be seen because he knew exactly what was going to happen. He knew gossip would spread outside of the Red Keep on the Street of Silk. And he also knew somebody would want to be rewarded with such information. Or, you know, what I just thought about, he could have been in on it with Masario the whole time. That's something I've seen being talked about. My gut, my personal opinion tells me he wasn't in on it with Masario. And I'll tell you why. It's been a few we- it's been a few years since um since, you know, the stepstones and the, you know, confrontation, the standoff on on the bridge on Dragonstone, right? Damon was in the stepstones fighting with Corlys. So Masaria came back to King's Landing and she mentioned to Damon when they had their scene together this episode that she stopped selling her skin. And we learn she's been informing Otto and making coin that way, right? Damon betrayed her trust back on Dragonstone, right? She said she didn't leave King's Landing to be with Damon to live in fear. And while Damon and Corliss were away in the Stepstones fighting, she might have been working her way up and becoming a master of whispers. So she heads back to King's Landing from Dragonstone while Damon goes across a narrow sea. And when he's away, now she comes back to King's Landing and she has a direct line to the king. She has a direct line to Viserys by way of Otto, at least for now, you know, throughout this episode. But she's wearing a white dress here, which is great. Uh, It's a great tip of the cap to the book readers because in the book she's referred to as the White Worm. And even the guard refers to her as the white White Worm here, which is, you know, pretty cool. Um, she's looking out for herself. 
you know? Like, she's not in love with Damon. She has her own little birds, just like Varys had in the original show. So now she's more of like an unofficial master of whispers, right? But Damon leaves Rhaenyra in the brothel. He can't go through with it, or he, he can't get it up. Either way, he had a conscience and didn't try to force it on her when she reciprocated and tried to lead. Uh, so thought that was interesting. Um, but we cut to Rhaenyra. She returns to the castle, walks past Sir Kristen into the room. He's like, wait, what? And, man, I, you got to feel bad for your boy, Sir Kristen here, man. Like, he cares about the cloak. He cares about his honor. I mean, you feel bad for the dude until he gives in. Like, Rhaenyra just toys with him here. He's like, can you please not? She kisses him. I mean, he knows he wants it. I mean, look at Rhaenyra. She's gorgeous, right? But he he knows he, he swore vows. But, you know, Rhaenyra's horned up from what just happened from with Damon. She wants to experience what Damon told her fucking would feel like. And this is one of the things that I wanted to see the most was how they would play this from the books. How they how they describe this in the books is essentially from a rumor perspective. Think TMZ, right? Reporting this in King's Landing and, you know, gossip spreads in the streets about the scandal with Sir Kristen. That's how it's sort of like um, portrayed in the books. But here inside the room, we actually see what could have transpired. Again, this is just a separate reality from the books. This is the way Ryan Condon wants to interpret it and present it to the audience for this story, for how it's presented for this story. But she's slowly undressing him here. She's clearly using her power against him. She technically has, or he technically has to do what she says. And you can see at first he feels really guilty about it. You know, the way he looks at his cloak when he puts it down, man. Like, you could feel how ashamed he was of himself at this moment. But at the same time, lust and the heat of the moment, you know, that kicks in. And he's just like, fuck it all, right? <laughs> But, you know, you see the next morning he had a lot of regret on his face about what he did. It reminded me of Jamie in the books, actually. Like, when he becomes a knight of the Kingsguard, how he so much wanted to be like Sir Arthur Dane, his hero. But he thinks himself a loser who just fucks his sister. Like, give me major Jamie vibes, Jamie vibes here of, of shame and guilt. Um, but I do think Sir Kristen is in love with her. And the way it was shot, you know, he did have plenty of time to say no. It was consensual. So I don't think, like, Rhaenyra raped him or anything by any means. Like how Jamie, Lee, Jamie basically raped Cersei in the sept with dead Joffrey laying right there on the slab. Like, that was brutal. You know, Cersei didn't want it, and they didn't give her time to make a choice. At least David and Dan, David and Dan didn't give the character time to make a choice. Here, we see Sir Kristen... He did have time. He did have a choice. And I thought that was ex I thought that was executed extremely well. And another reason why I like the fact that we had a woman behind the lens for this episode. But I don't think Rhaenyra like ruined his life here. But I do think that Rhaenyra put Sir Kristen's life in danger. But at the end of the day, man, like this is all Damon's fault. He taught her you can do whatever you want. So she put Kristen Cole's life in danger. Yeah, he's a man. He's grown. He can make his own choices. But he still has to do as she commands. She's the princess. 
he is her sworn protector, sworn to obey any command that she she gives him. But, you know, Rhaenyra is taking Damon's advice and just playing with people's lives and not thinking about the consequences of what could happen, especially to Sir Kristen. Like, if word got out about the two of them, Sir Kristen would either be sent to the wall or he'd be beheaded. But I love this whole sequence, man, because at the same time Rhaenyra fucks Sir Kristen, we get a back and forth between them and Alicent just laying there like a dead fish, taking it from Viserys. Gotta feel for Alicent here, man. They really, really do a good job at, at making the audience sympathize with her. Like you can tell she clocks out whenever they fuck. I thought it was I thought it was a brilliant way to juxtapose Alicent fulfilling her duty not being able to enjoy herself sexually with Rhaenyra being free to explore and fuck without limits with Sir Kristen. Like, Alison, she's not attracted to Viserys. She was, she's forced, she was forced into this. Like Rhaenyra said earlier, she is one of those women forced to live in a castle and produce heirs, and this was a visual representation of that line. She's just a royal womb, like Emma said in the episode one. That's all she's good for in the eyes of the realm. They are royal wombs. And it's unfortunate for Allison because she didn't choose this. Otto chose this for her. And, you know, just by Allison's nature, she follows the rules because unlike Rhaenyra, she understands how the world works and she does her best to fit into that world, to fit into that paradigm, while Rhaenyra is is liberated and has more autonomy and freedom of choice than her. You know, she doesn't have complete autonomy or, or you know, f- free, f- um, full freedom of choice. But, you know, it's always been that way since episode one. If you think back to the first episode when they're sitting by the weirwood reading and, you know, they get up, Rhaenyra takes the book from Alice and she rips the page out of the book, right? Allison's like, oh my God, Rhaenyra, you tore the page from the book. Rhaenyra's like, yeah, thug life. And, you know, Allison's like, that that's a small small example of how Allison follows the rules and wants to follow the rules, and Rhaenyra just doesn't. It was isn't that great writing? Like it starts with with simple stuff like that, and then we get huge stuff like this. It's just great writing, but we get more rats, right? When when we're on Rhaenyra, uh, Rhaenyra, when we're on Allison here, just laying in the bed after you know, like Viserys like finished. This time, uh, we get rats on the bedpost canopy, right? Some more symbolism here. The rats are actually in the fucking chambers now. I was wondering if they were, I was wondering if they were like eating away at Viserys' back while he slept. Remember, like, you, we see more sores on Viserys' back while he's on top of Allison here. It's just nasty to think about that the, the rats could be like, sort of like chipping away, eating at him while he sleeps, just nibbling on him. Ugh, it's gross, right? Ugh, nasty. But yeah, like the themes run deep here. For the hashtag Maester Conspiracy. But I think, I think personally, this was the night that Aemon was made. And Aemon is the son of Viserys and Alicent. I think he's the second son of uh, Viserys and Alicent. And he's going, to, he's going to be a fan favorite. I'll just say that. I can't wait for Aemon to show up. He's got a nickname. I don't want to say it because it kind of gives something away. But uh, yeah, Aemon. Going to be a dope character for sure. But uh, Rhaenyra gets snitched on by Viserys' little birds here. Uh, Otto walks into Viserys' chambers. He's like all happy. You know, Otto has been waiting for the right opportunity to dunk 
news on Viserys that Rhaenyra fucked up and with Damon no less. Right? Somebody who Otto despises. Or remember back in episode one, I was like, hey, like maybe Otto is gay for uh for Damon. I don't think that's the case anymore. I think he just fucking hates him. But uh I love Viserys in this episode, man. Boy finally grew a pair. When he snapped back at Otto, my jaw literally fucking dropped because you didn't expect it based on how he's such a pushover in the first three episodes, right? Nobody expected that. But uh yeah, I mean let me just play a clip for you. Because no amount of coverage can do this scene justice. You're so sick with ambition that you would have my daughter stalked, spied upon, awaiting your best chance to destroy her reputation. I have no such intent, Your Grace. You think yourself a cunning man? Your designs are obvious. Do you wish to have your blood on the Iron Throne so badly that you are willing to destroy mine own? Just get out. I could not fucking believe what I was watching. Like I was watching it with a friend and going wild, and and they were like, "Dude, can you fucking chill?" Like this, this to me blew my mind seeing Viserys clap back like this. And then we see Allison, and she overheard what her father just said, right? And it's like, oh shit, like what's about to go down now? And then we cut to Rhaenyra in her chambers, and you know she has her hair down, and. She has that, like, holy fuck, like, last night was amazing look, right? While Sir Kristen comes in, he, like, looks all ashamed because he, he realizes he just he just forsaken his vows. He informs her that the queen requests her presence, and we cut to the weirwood in the uh, in the courtyard. And remember last episode, when I was like, I feel like in the future, this weirwood in this courtyard will be the place where important conversations happen between Rhaenyra and Allison. This was one of them. So... You know, here's where I finally realized that Allison is in love with Rhaenyra. I mean, for one, she wants to believe the best in Rhaenyra, right? She, for the past two weeks, she's she's always stuck up for Rhaenyra, right? She's never bad mouthed or bad talked Rhaenyra. She's always talked about her highly and always wanted her to like evade trouble. And Allison understands that Rhaenyra has to marry a suitor. In fact, her and Viserys. She, she, she tells Rhaenyra her and Viserys have like set up the tour for her and chosen suitors for her. So she understands that Rhaenyra has a duty to marry a proper suitor, to have babies, and she's like cool with all of that, right? But the moment you bring up like actually like fucking, fucking, fucking and enjoying it, that's when Allison, she like appears to be hurt, right? I think it was here when I finally realized like Allison is in love with her. But she's also jealous of Rhaenyra from like for like moving on, and she's jealous for Rhaenyra, in as much as Rhaenyra can move on with her life, whereas Allison can never move on with her life, at least never explore herself sexually, because she'd be executed by high treason if she ever did that. But here we get Rhaenyra. She half lies about Damon, saying Damon didn't touch her. Obviously, Damon did. She basically uses the truth as a lie, but. You know, for Allison, it's hard when your best friend, it's hard when you're in love with your best friend and that best friend, she's on, she off on hot girl summer, right? While you're stuck in the house raising two kids and you have to, you're, you have to have sex at like 3 a.m. with a decrepit old dude who's just falling apart, right? You don't even want to put your hands on his back because his back is all fucked up and nasty. Gross. <laughs> nasty. <laughs> but, uh, you know, Rhaenyra swears on her dead mother here, which is really disturbing, 
And you can see right here, like, how twisted and selfish Rhaenyra is becoming. And yeah, she was always, like, a rebellious, angsty teen, right? But Damon is really, like, putting his claws into her, like, metaphorically. Like, she, Damon is the catalyst that makes her spiral out of control. And so, you know, we see Damon, he stumbles back into the Red Keep. He's brought before Viserys in the throne room. Viserys, wearing all black, love the fit. He proceeds to kick Damon on the ground. Got to think, there, you know, there's no way he would do this if, if Damon was sober, right? He doesn't have the balls to do that. Yeah, he grew a pair this episode, but no way he would step, he would step to Damon 1v1 when Damon's sober because he knows Damon would drop him, especially if nobody was watching. Like, that's, that's what brothers do, right? Even though Viserys is the king, um, you know, Damon would, Damon would step to him, especially if nobody was watching, 100%. That's just, you know, Damon's, he's unhinged, right? And you, you got to think, you know, Viserys loves his brother so much that he wouldn't even, that's just brother, that's what brothers do, right? Boys will be boys. Um, but, I mean, Viserys, okay, Viserys used to run through the brothels with Damon. I think he mentions that um, when they're out in the courtyard earlier in the episode when they're talking about, oh, yeah, like, um, our mother loved Damon. Um, he was always the favorite. And then I think he proceeds to say something like, you know, they used to run through the brothels together when they were when they were younger, when they were kids. So, um, and if they and if he didn't say that, um, that is what um, transpires in the books. That's what's been told to us in the books. So, um, you know, when Otto tells Viserys, he, uh, Viserys knows that <laughs> Viserys basically knows that the rumor between the rumor of Damon and Rhaenyra is true because of their past. You know, because of their they, they're gallivanting in the streets of Flea Bottom as kids. He, he knows. You know, that's what Targaryens do. Um, but Damon, he had the line ready to go. This was his plan all along. He wanted the rumor to spread, to reach the ears of the king, and they did. Give me Rhaenyra, he said. Wed her to me, and we will restore the House of the Dragon to its proper glory. He had that line just cocked and loaded, bro. But yeah, man, great scene from Matt Smith and Patty Gonstein here. Love it. Um, but we cut to, you know, Allison and Viserys, and Allison backs up Rhaenyra again. Again, I mean, the lie worked on Allison. She's she, she's pretty naive here. I mean, even though she is the queen, she's still young and, and naive. And she tells Viserys that she believes Rhaenyra. And Viserys is like, you know, Damon and Rhaenyra are the blood of the dragon. They are restless. Yeah, they're gonna do shit like this. This is, you know, what Targaryens are known to do. Um, but he asks Allison, he's like, if Damon's lying, why would he tell me he did it? And Allison's like, to like to basically like get under your skin. Like Damon wants to get under your skin. But we cut to Rhaenyra. She's being summoned to the king's chamber. She's being escorted by Sir Harold and Sir Kristen. She walks in, she sees Aegon stagger in the fire. Um and I think I think Ryan is Ryan Condal is retconning the OG show in a way with Aegon's secret inscribed on this dagger here. It's brought about by fire, very much like, you know, the Ring of Power in The Lord of the Rings. And I like this. Um, when I think about it, it makes sense, even more than the OG show, because ancient Targaryens were pyromancers. And, you know, um, Viserys mentions it, it was Aegon's dagger. Before that, it was uh, Aenar's the Exiled. Um, 
he owned the dagger and before that it was you know the dagger was basically um owned by whoever like i think it was owned by like the valerians right or the older owners of the daggers but there are glyphs in the in other valerian armor and swords so this is pretty much on brand for targaryens and valerians to hide messages in their weapons and, and on their armor but it's interesting because this is the second time Viserys has pointed out how important the information he's given Rhaenyra is. Like this information of, of Aegon's secret, how it's important, how it's more important than the throne. So, you know, once is like a nod to the prophecy. It's like a nod to book readers. Twice, it's a theme, right? So I'm wondering how Condal chooses to use this information by the end of the show because he's clearly acknowledged it more than once now but they get into the rumors about her and damon she's like rhaenyra's like you haven't even asked me if it's true sarah says the truth doesn't matter rhaenyra only perception and this was one of those subtle nods to fire and blood like the whole point of fire and blood is to present three different perspectives and skew the reader's perception towards one account or towards another account of what happened and it's fire and blood is really written to sow the seeds sow the seeds of the maester conspiracy and the maester bias so that's the point of the unreliable narrator in the book and that's the point of history right like history unto itself is an unrelatable or unrelatable unreliable narrator like we only ever read about it we we never really know what truly happened in the past do we like we have to rely on accounts from people and people's accounts of history are always different based on perspective based on whether or not they were actually there based on who told them and if that person was there or not or who told the person who told them and so on right when information gets passed down from generation to generation we lose what is truth and it goes from what's true to more of like a tale. He says, you are to wed Sir Laner Valerian. And last episode, he was like, you know, make a match of your own choosing. But earlier this episode, in the small council chambers, they were talking about being forced to make an alliance of their own because of Corliss is like basically forcing their hand. Uh, remember when it cut to Rhaenyra's face, she knew what that meant. So it wasn't so much of a shock here for her when, when Viserys is like, you are to wed later Valerian. Because think back to her, think back to the conversation with Damon earlier in the episode in the courtyard where he says, listen, you can marry for political arrangement and then do whatever the fuck you want. Like, look at me, like I'm married to the bronze bitch and I take whatever bitch I want, right? Like he planted that seed in this episode. So th there's another reason why Rhaenyra is like not taken aback by like being forced to, to marry Lainor here. She's not like, what the fuck? Like, I'm not going to wed him. Like, she knows she can marry and then do whatever the fuck she wants because Damon told her and showed her uh, that, that that was possible earlier this episode. But plus, you have to think back to when she was like talking to Viserys and she was like, if it was for advantage, you you would have wed like Lena. So that shows me that she looks at Lainor as like a best match for her out of like everybody in the realm. So like with their combined air and naval power, as Viserys says, uh, nobody would dare step to them. And one thing I like about this scene is when Rhaenyra is like, look, I'll play along and do my duty as princess and wed Laenor, but you, my father, you, my king, 
you have to do your duty for me. You have to get rid of the vulture who perches on your throne, Otto. So she's like, you know, okay, like I see you with marrying Lenore and I raise you firing Otto Hightower for what he tried to do to me, basically slandering my name and to just to put his grandson in her place, like to put young Aegon on the throne, right? So we get the penultimate scene here in the episode where Viserys calls Otto to the small council chamber. It's late. There's no candles lit. This will be a quick meeting, you know? And <laughs> I wrote here, eat shit, Otto. Uh, but, you know, Risa Fons is so damn good here. Like for the slightest of moments, I felt bad for Otto, but that moment passed out of sight and mind so fast. And I was, I was back to my like auto hating ways, but, uh, five days, he says, you know, five days, how much of that was self-interest? You know, what else can I trust you about Otto? Like Viserys was hinting here that Otto had something to do with his father, Balon's death. Uh, Balon was beloved by all the people and, Viserys says here, you know, he's like, he's like, my, basically saying my father was healthy. He was a fighter. My dad was a dragon rider. And then he all of a sudden died of a burst belly, like on a hunt. Like, was he directly implying that Otto had something to do with it here? Maybe, you know, maybe to gauge Otto's reaction. Because here we have Viserys now, like his third eye is like opening. Like he's starting to realize some things. His his body is like eroding. So you would think that Viserys starts to become suspicious of like everybody around him, and especially the maesters, right? Viserys is getting smarter now. He, he's starting to sniff stuff out. But personally, I think it's too late. Like this, sh he should have been more conscious about all this stuff like years ago. Um, I think he's probably been suspicious this whole time because when he says to Rhaenyra, look, everybody who ever takes a meeting with me is self-interested. It's unavoidable. So if Viserys knows that Otto has self-interest, but I don't think he ever thought his reach would extend this far and he would basically choose himself over the king in, in the realm. And remember, Damon's been calling Otto a snake from day one. So Viserys isn't dumb. He's been hearing these, these things so for years so it's it's always been like on the table for him or in the back of his head but he's finally decided for Rhaenyra's sake to pull Trig and get rid of Otto because she blamed she basically she blamed this rumor uh basically being spread by Otto how do I put that she she's um she blamed the rumor that was spread because of Otto and his spies and she was right Right, like that's what happened because whether Damon was in on it or with Masaria or not, I still don't think he was because if he was, it kind of looks like he was working with Otto. Maybe he didn't know Masaria was working for Otto for uh, for Otto, but either way, the White Worm and her little birds work for Otto, and their sole purpose is to bring him news and rumors. He said as much to Viserys, like he said, "This source has never led me astray." So. Rhaenyra blames Otto, and she's right for doing so. Maybe, you know, conforming what, uh, maybe informing what Viserys has already known along, uh, all along. And whether true or not, look, they figured out it was Otto who was spying on her and, and looking, looking for her to just like slip up, right? So I wonder if I actually wonder if like Viserys apologizes to Damon now after this because Damon warned him in episode one. He's like, Otto Hightower is a fucking cunt, right? But he takes the pin off of Otto's chest and he dismisses him. And for a second, you know, I felt bad for 
for Otto because, you know, Risa Fons is such a brilliant actor, but no, nah, like, be gone, Otto. So, um, yeah, so, okay, so let's break down this final shot here. Okay, so basically Viserys door dashed plan B or plan T to Rhaenyra's room, or so or so we're led to believe. My my first thought was, okay, hashtag Maester conspiracy, right? It's a possibility Viserys didn't know the Maesters brought the moon tea to uh, Rhaenyra to basically set her up for stuff that's going to happen later on. Um, so they could say, mm, yes, like, like there was, however, one occasion where I brought the princess moon tea after her night in the whorehouse with Damon, right? So they can basically say that later down the line if anything were to come up. Um, but, you know, Rhaenyra went from the realm's delight to fucking up pretty fast. Like, one, she's already a woman. She doesn't like the commoners. She doesn't think their opinions matter. She's rude to all the wards who were put before her, and these wards will not forget that. Right? All of these wards, she didn't give a chance at Storm's End. They were potential allies to House Targaryen, and now they probably feel dishonored by House Targaryen. Like, so she, she doesn't realize if she if she's to become the first queen of Westeros, she's going to need allies. Like, she's going to need to build rapport with these wards of Westeros and earn their loyalty and earn their support, but she doesn't get that. So that she fucked up in that regard, too. And on top of that, now she's being labeled a slut. Right? So all of this is going down. She's fucking up. The cards are being stacked against her, and it's really damaging her claim to the throne. But... You know, at, at first here, like, I thought Otto and the Maesters were behind the moon tea, and I thought they might have, like, poisoned it. But after a rewatch, re I highly doubt it because... Hmm, I highly doubt it was poison because Viserys would have known who gave it to her. Like, nobody can just present somebody moon tea. Like, only the Maesters know how to make moon tea. So maybe it was Viserys who gave it to her. I would lean it was actually Viserys who gave it to her. Like, the question is, did she take it or not? And I guess we'll find out in the coming weeks. Because if she didn't take it and she weds Elaenor and they conceive during the bedding cer ceremony, wink, 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 but <laughs> I won't say anything. Um, and the baby comes out with dark hair, right? Obviously, it's not going to be Elaenor's. Probably Sir Kristen's, right? But the the whole moon tea thing is interesting because in A Song of Ice and Fire, um, Lysa Aaron was also given moon tea by her father, Hoster Tully, to abort Littlefinger's baby when they were young. So, you know, that's basically what moon tea is. It's like the morning after pill. But to recap here, Rhaenyra had a lot of dubs this episode and she had a few L's as well. So I guess like if we were to say, she, if we were to run down her dubs, number one, she exploited her sexuality. Um, I, I mean, it's interesting because these dubs can later turn into L's. So, like, she exploits her sexuality. She learns what true freedom feels like. She fucks her Kristen, and I think she plans on continuing that relationship. She agrees to marry Lenor, which is sort of an L, but not really. Uh, and she gets rid of Otto. All of those dubs right there can easily turn into L's. <laughs> like, they might be dubs right now, but later on they might come back to bite her in the ass. For the L's this episode, uh, the Lords of Westeros probably fucking hate her now. And she's viewed by the people as a whore. As a slut. So, yeah, like, amazing episode. Within four episodes, 
we've already established the plot. We've established characters. We've established their wants. We've established their desires. Uh, we have mystery. We have intrigue. We have tons of theories floating around what could possibly happen. And this is how you start a show. Somebody go tell Rings of Power writers, this is how you do it. Okay? Don't fucking add me. You Rings of Power stands. Show is trash. But again, you know, this is the type of stuff that A Song of Ice and Fire thrives on. Like the lies, the political machinations, the gossip, playing the Game of Thrones. Right? That's what makes the show so good so early on. But that'll do it for me, guys. Hey, head on over to foliosociety.com. Check out their custom collector's editions of George R. R. Martin's A Song of Ice and Fire. Link is in the description of this episode. Go treat yourself. If you want to wait, I suggest you wait to Black Friday. They're pretty expensive books, uh, and you can scoop up as many as you as you possibly can afford um, during Black Friday because you'll save a, a, a bunch of money. And, you know, if you don't treat yourself now, it's okay. Don't worry about it. Just wait until Black Friday. Scoop some books. They're totally worth it. But I will be back next Wednesday, maybe next Tuesday. I knew I know we were pretty late this week because I was traveling for TIFF and I was just completely exhausted. But next Wednesday, expect House of the Dragon episode five recap. And if you made it this far, far drop a five-star rating on Spotify. It's been a long week, a long week with TIFF and, and prepping this episode. So um, I really appreciate anything, you know, any any rating or review uh, that you drop on Spotify. I deeply, deeply appreciate it. But follow me on Instagram at Visualize Cinema for the sauce. Yes, chef. Heard chef. Thank you, chef. Later.